Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We've got a great show, Tony. I'm super excited. We're sitting in the studio with two amazing women who work in the area as a real estate agent and a mortgage broker. Sure. Is that no, what you call it? Yeah. I want to yeah. get it right. I mean, I usually call myself a loan officer. It kind oh, of covers a, a whole lot of bases. Right. But, but I can broker loans, although I... You give out money? I give out money. Okay. Wait, can you call her a loan? some conditions. Would you say it stretches all the way to loan shark? No, God, no. (laughs) No? Oh, I see. Okay. You stopped just short of loan shark. Short. Okay. All right. All right. I think we got it then. If you need money to buy your home, then you're the person. Yes. You're absolutely the person. Yes, exactly. If you don't have a bucket full of cash uh, to buy a house, then you have to talk to me. So a little history, Not too many people have a bucket full of cash. We've had you guys on the show before. And it's always a good time. And uh, you guys complement each other very well. So we're going to talk about all of the things that you guys do every day, in and out. And uh, there's a thousand questions that people have about the stuff you do, of course, because um, because this is this is a very kind of um, it's a topic that everybody talks about all the time. Well, everybody wants to know about housing. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony and I build them, you sell them, and you finance them. Yep. So it's kind of a great little matchup we have here yep. because. You know, I can tell you what's going on in my world. Uh, you know, I, I'm in contractor sales. I sell, you know, building materials to builders. And there's a big slowdown happening right now. Mm. It feels, anyway. Mm. Um, I don't know if you guys are seeing that at all. What do you think? So first, we should probably introduce. Absolutely. Standing in front of us. <laughs> we're just talking to you. Introduced. So uh, we're with Le- uh, Leanne Ishibashi mm-hmm. uh, with Hassan yeah. Realtors and Aaron Walsh with Academy Mortgage. Is yep. that correct? That's right. All right. You guys are both kind of in the Portland metro area. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I've seen a big slowdown in construction. Hmm. Permits are way down. So like uh, new Lumber builds. sales. Yeah, okay, new yeah. construction is yeah. way down. Right. And there's a lot of, there's a sense with a lot of my builders that are they're very cautious. Mm-hmm. They feel very cautious right now. And I don't know, are you're, you're probably not, so you, you seem kind of surprised. Not, I mean, I'm not surprised about the new build slowdown necessarily. I think their margins are a little smaller because it slowed down for a period of time this year. And so they went, you know, from, I don't know if you would say March through November, actually last year, it slowed down in 2018. So I think that they got a little more cautious in purchasing lots. And so... I think that might be why why it's the case. Plus, we have a shortage of lots. There's not a ton of lots for them to build on that are worth building on. That oh, seems yeah, to be yeah. That, that's totally true. That um, has a lot to do with what we do for sure. Yeah, the uh, the urban growth boundary. Right. Which, if you know, you don't live in the Pacific Northwest, you know, the urban growth boundary where I grew up in Michigan, there was no such thing. Oh. Nobody knew what an urban. I didn't had no <laughs> idea what that meant. Yeah. When I lived in Arizona, it was the same thing. Just houses as far as the eye yeah. can see. <laughs> They're like, there's dirt. Let's build houses. You right. Know? Versus here. They contain it and say, you know, you can't build here. This is agriculture. You can't do anything but agriculture on that land. And the person that owns that land is a future millionaire. Because as soon as they open (laughs) that up for building, it's worth 50 times what it was, you know, yesterday. Yeah. So it's really interesting to me how the urban growth boundary work. I feel it's kind of weird. Like it, it artificially keeps prices of homes up. I mean, yes. it's kind of what it's a it, price constraint controlled. for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. what? So, going back to that, dirt. You know, dirt is probably the biggest issue right now. Would you say, Tony? 
Uh, yeah, having a place to do what it is you want to do, absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. and then, of course, we have a natural slowdown in our part of the industry, right? Because uh, our guys can only do so much in the cold and the mm-hmm. rain and the snow and all those things. Ice, That's true, the weather. Uh, yeah. Plus the shorter days, right? Yeah. So we we definitely slow down in October, November, December, January, February, March anyways. So now would be the time that we would just start coming back in. Actually, we've had some really nice weather mm-hmm. over the last weeks. Yes. And we've seen an uptick in uh, walk-in yeah. trade, yep, at the <laughs> store. So the weather has changed the, the, the you know people's minds a little bit. But it's very interesting to hear you guys say that on your end, you don't see it. You don't see it happening. So so that's to say then that if there's a shortage of property to build new homes, then there's also probably low inventory of homes that are available. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I mean, I think that the inventory is incredibly low right now, which then obviously drives prices up. So, you know. Yeah, so there's that's, not, there's still, what is the inventory sitting at right now? Do you know? I don't. I don't know what it is right now. It's incredibly low, though. I mean, we just went from, I mean, and again, in February, I think, when we started increasing in our volume. I use my hands to talk a lot. Like, I need to really <laughs> you didn't realize I'm, like, until you did. Whacking the, <laughs> but I think when we saw it picking back up again, you know, people, supply and demand, and with rates going down, that's the biggest piece is people are rushing to the front lines to buy because rates are so low, which yeah. is, it's like 14 yeah. month, you know, 14 month low. Yeah. Like the people who weren't buying, you know, we always see a slowdown towards the end of the year and at the beginning of the year as people are kind of getting back into the swing of things. But a lot of those people who might be still sitting on the fence are really jumping into it now because rates are lower and it just makes housing more affordable. I mean, their buying power is going up. I mean, almost every day as rates are going down. So, so you said an interesting yeah. word there, affordability. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very hot topic in the construction world. Yeah. Um, affordable housing. Yeah. You know, there's this big initiative, you know, where they're trying to force builders to build, mm-hmm. you know, a portion of their homes, what they call affordable. Yeah. And I mean, what, what does that even mean to you guys? What does affordable housing mean to a real estate agent? I mean, oh yeah, that's tough. That that's tough. a tough. I mean, question. it's a hard question yeah. because I mean, what I is s- affordable housing? Exactly. I mean, is there is that even available in Portland? No, I mean, I talk to people really. all the time, yeah. all the time, and they they just are having a hard time affording something. I mean, you, I, yeah. I have a couple right now, and she works at a restaurant, and he works as a mechanic, and they both have full time jobs. They make good money, but they cannot buy anything. Mm-hmm. There's just nothing. And then on the flip side of that, you see somebody who maybe has their master's in education. And they can't afford to buy anything because their student loan debt is so mm-hmm. high. And mm-hmm. the house prices in Portland are just They've gone so out of control. High. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's why Vancouver, I think, is so busy. Because we're looking at, you know, housing prices there at between 275 and 325 And people are strategically pricing low, both in Vancouver and in Portland. And so that's driving those prices up. That's where we're seeing more multiple offers. So buyers are looking, seeing a low price, oh. and going to to see the house, falling in love with it, and then writing an offer, and there's seven other offers. You know, oh, so it's man. up at right. 325 and listed at 275. So multiple multiple offers yeah, are still happening. Definitely, and seven offers is no exaggeration. No, is it? no, I mean, not at not, all, not at all, not at all. So that's you have really to interesting. Get out as quick as you can. One of my biggest builders right now, they 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 have a subdivision going on in Estacada. Who is it? Paul Shones. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I, I, we're both working with him right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, they uh, that subdivision is their best-selling subdivision. Yeah. It is such a popular area because they're keeping their homes affordable, affordable right? Which you know, in turn. But what's the other side of people, that? It's the location, well, the commu- right? Yeah, the commute. I mean, for people who maybe work in Hillsborough, Estacada is not even a yeah. a chance, right? Yeah. 
So yeah, that'd be a two and a half hour. Commute. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the folks Easy. that I helped that bought out there. I mean, I think one worked in like inner Southeast and one worked in Vancouver. I mean, and still that's, that's a crazy. Trek, that's right? Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Far. But wow. that was the only thing that was affordable for them. So that's what hmm. they did. They're Very super happy with it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there's no doubt that there's a lot somebody will do in order to become a first-time home owner mm-hmm. or, you know, to get out of renting, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a very valuable prospect, yeah. even if you have to drive across uh, country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, more with our guests. You're listening to Tony and Corey, Your Weekend Warriors. Don't go away. Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. We've got a great show today, Tony. You know, we're talking with Leanne Ishibashi with Hassan Realtors and Aaron Walsh with Academy Mortgage. And, uh, you know, Tony and I are working for Par Lumber Company. We've been there for, I don't know, 40 years combined. And uh, we're on the construction side. We talk a lot about home improvement and construction. Uh, but we, you know, our listeners need to learn how to or know how to buy a home. Maybe yeah. some of you do. Yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, I, I think it's great. We're sharing really good information today. It can be um, it can be scary or daunting, right, to mm-hmm. choose who you're going to um, entrust with mm-hmm. a lot of personal information, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't just open up the phone book. Well, you don't open a phone book at all anymore. You <laughs> don't just open a phone you don't just go to <laughs> Google <laughs> and Google, you know, mortgage company. And then just choose somebody yeah. and call them, right? And then start giving them all your private information. I guess it's possible, but it makes sense to do that with somebody who you can trust. So this is an opportunity for us to talk to Aaron and Leanne about all of the things, the back and forths of buying and selling a home and all the things that you need to do, right, to get there. And just start right at the beginning. What, what is the very first thing a potential home buyer needs to do in the process or their journey of buying a home. They get onto Zillow or Redfin, <laughs> right? And they just start shopping. They just start just looking for a place. Pick out your house. I'm getting evil eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's wrong. <laughs> I do. I know. What I mean, is it honestly? No, it's actually out- not entirely wrong. I think if you the first thing you need to do is find people you trust. So obviously most people are house shopping and looking at houses prior to finding an agent usually. So I think Zillow is a good place to start. Um and you first, I think, want to find an agent through a referral source, through people you know, maybe. Um, and if you don't have any luck with that, or maybe try both, looking at Zillow and looking at reviews. So looking at agents that only have five-star reviews, because it's actually pretty accurate. And they go through a huge process with Zillow on the back end, where they make sure it's legitimate, and you actually sold the house, good or bad. And then you can pick three agents to interview. Interview the three agents, and then I would immediately call a lender or the lender that the agent you pick recommends, because that's the most important part is getting pre-approved. Okay, okay. Yeah. So the lend- so Aaron, you come first. But right. you know, it's funny because during the break we were talking about picking neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, Portland's kind of a unique area, mm-hmm. and when you move here, you said you could live on a street where there's an eight hundred thousand dollar house, and in the very next street over, 
could be a $300,000 house. Mm -hmm. And that is true. Mm -hmm. So yeah. maybe is it is it a good idea to get online and, and find that real estate agent for, oh, I guess, yeah, yeah find the first, first. Mm -hmm, for figure sure. out kind of what your price range is to even be before you get pre-qualified or? No, you can't. I would get on and first find an agent, connect with an agent that has a, a relationship with a lender so you can find a lender that you trust. Because if you don't have a lender you trust, then you're going to spend wheels round and round and round. So I think you need to first start with that. That's the easiest way. And you, most people are on Zillow anyways looking at houses. I mean, if you're like, oh, what are houses cost around here? And then an agent should specialize in a larger area So, because you have to work backwards. Pick yeah. your price point, talk to your lender, find out what your price point is, then start shopping. Because most people are either looking too low or too high. You yeah. know, they're they're not looking <laughs> yes. where they should be. So that's really important. So We've you're all not seen those HGTV shows where they, <laughs> right. you know, show them, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. And I think you know? it's really important because, I mean, like you said during the break, you know, you are entrusting people yes. with really, really important information. Um, so it's important that you find a real estate agent that you connect with, that you like, that yes. understands your needs, understands what you're looking for, understands how you want to interact with them. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're working with somebody who only will meet with you in person, that might not fit with your lifestyle. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're meeting with the right real estate agent that is going to help you find your house because you're probably going to spend a lot of time with that person yeah. in the car, touring <clears throat> houses, negotiating the offer. So it's really, really important that you don't just pick the first person you see on Zillow. Yes. I think it's critically <laughs> important that you meet with somebody. And then once you found that person... You know, then you can talk to lenders. And I love the idea that you're working with a lender that your realtor recommended mm -hmm. um, because that realtor has worked with that lender probably more than once, time and again. Um, and they know that person has a proven, proven track record yeah. to get the job done. Um, and so then the same process goes when you're picking a lender. Make sure that you're picking somebody who understands what you want, who is looking out for your best interests, who is going to give you the type of service that you're looking for. Um, rates are always important, but I promise you, if you Google lowest interest rate in the whole wide world, you'll find it and you might not like <laughs> mm -hmm. what's on the other side of yeah. that, which maybe is somebody who works in a call center in, I don't know, middle of nowhere, Kansas. Right. And yeah. they, they might not understand the Portland market. They might not understand, um, how our property taxes work. They might not understand, you know, how busy and intense and fast moving our market mm -hmm. is. So they can't maybe write a pre-approval letter on an evening or a weekend. And if you write an offer and you don't have a pre-approval letter and you're going to wait until Monday at noon when your loan officer in Kansas finally gets back to you, you probably lost that house. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be number eight, especially true. right you, now. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure Leanne can speak to this because she does a lot of listings. You know, if she's got two pre-approval letters and one's from a local lender with somebody that she can pick up the phone and talk to versus, you know, call center in Kansas. Yeah. I mean, which one are you going to pick, right? If yeah, all, it weighs okay. in heavy. It does, if, and especially if we work together before, you know. How often does somebody buy or sell their home on average? Like every 10 years or? I think it's more like five, five to seven. To seven. Five to seven years. <laughs> okay, so here, Corey, you ready for this? I'm coming up on that. You've, you've done <laughs> something. Time. Two times, and each of them were seven years ago. How much do you remember about it? Hardly any. You don't want to be, <laughs> this is what I'm saying, you don't want to be doing business with somebody who's not available to you yeah. all the time, right? Somebody who's local, yep. somebody who shares your time zone, for the sake of Pete, and knows you know that, that you, you're in this situation, what part of the situation you're in, and what your needs are going to be during that time. And you wouldn't, unless you know how to do all of this, yeah. traverse this entire sale all by yourself, 
I wouldn't be wanting to deal with somebody that wasn't right here. Well, you make a good point, yes. too, because, I mean, technology changes. You know, somebody that bought and sold a house seven years ago, are they even shopping the same way now? You know, <laughs> no, our, rates, our rates and the types of products, I, I hate referring to them as products. But, <laughs> but that's, that's what they what are. We call, call them products. Yeah. We call them products. Yep. Um, are completely different now than they were seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So... I agree. I mean, being able to be handheld through that process. I mean, that was great with, I know Aaron. Aaron did our mortgage. Yep. And uh, it was really nice because we could just text you and say, what, what yeah. does this mean? Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, there's so much language yeah. right. and legalese. Oh, in my these... gosh. Everything's an acronym. I mean, <laughs> DTI and LTV and FHA. and I mean, like, it's yeah. all these acronyms mm -hmm. and nobody knows what they mean. Yeah. US, and, and then you got some like USDA, which mean meat. Right. Or... Yeah. Are we talking about cows <laughs> or, or houses? Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Awesome. Exactly. And also, like, I really think this is important to mention because I don't think a lot of people maybe realize it, especially first time home buyers. But maybe Leanne can answer, how much does a buyer have to pay their realtor? A buyer doesn't pay the realtor at all, and I think that's important to know. So when you list a house, you pay the commission. When you buy, you don't pay anything. So you can pretty much pick the best realtor out there when you're buying because you're not paying for it. So I think another thing that's important to know is there's a lot of local lenders that shut their phone off at 5. That doesn't work at all on the buy or list side. So when I'm with buyers and we're out and we're writing offers at 9 o'clock at night, to your point you have to have someone that's completely available, which is a lot of people don't do. A and lot. I will Who be honest before we... takes the day off we... of work to go make an offer on a house? You know what <laughs> right? I mean? It, it doesn't happen that Like, way. before we started recording, I got a text that a loan or a realtor needed a pre-approval letter, and I sent it in, like, 10 seconds mm -hmm. while we were standing here. Mm -hmm. like, wow. That's the kind of technology that we're mm -hmm. talking about yeah. these days. And, you know, you yep. don't always get... There's a ton of great lenders, especially in Portland, like a lot of really great companies. Um, but not everybody can do that. Yeah. So you just want to yeah. work with somebody who on both the real estate side and the lending side who understands your needs, understands what you're looking for and is able to give that to you. Yeah. I have so many questions about lending. Obviously our mortgage was, you know, we're, I think we're four years, three years, four years into this house that we live in now. And I have a lot of questions because everything's changed mm -hmm. in the last four years. And you said interest rates are lower now than when they were then. I don't know if they were lower than when they were then, but they're definitely lower than they were this time last year, for sure. Well, I'll tell you what. One thing that hasn't changed about this entire process is just like lumber, to build a relationship before mm -hmm. you get started. 100%. That's so important. Wait, we got to take another quick break. When we come back, more about this amazing stuff, the buying and selling process, you're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. Today, we're talking with Leanne Ishibashi with Hassan Realtors and Aaron Walsh with Academy Mortgage. And we've been talking about credit. Mm -hmm. And to me, credit is very mystifying you know there's there's all of these mm -hmm. credit companies it just seems like a big scam to me really mm -hmm. but you've kind of been shining a little bit of light on that talking in the last segment we talked about credit cards and credit card debt yep uh you actually leanne said that you should keep a credit card balance little of, yeah. 
of around so under 30%, but you don't want to pay them down to zero because it looks better. Yeah, it just, it shows, you know, that you have the capability to maintain sort of a revolving credit debt, right? Because if you pay them all the way down to zero, it could be that the very next month you're going to go and charge them right back up and then, you know, maybe you get your tax refund and you pay them back down and then you charge them up for a couple months and then something happens and you pay them back down. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily show healthy credit habits. I mean, healthy credit habits are spending a little bit on your credit cards and paying them off, spending a little bit and paying them off. So I just recommend leaving just a little tiny balance on there, but trying not to take your um, your current credit balance over 30% of the high credit limit. Gotcha. So here's the thing. People are trying to avoid paying the interest, mm -hmm. right? This is the thing. Uh, they have... They say 90 days, same as cash or whatever, right? And, but, if you, but if you use the credit card that way, you're not building your credit. You have to pay the interest, folks, <laughs> to, to build your credit. That's the thing. If you're, if you're running away from the interest, then you're missing out on the credit. So just, just take it like this. What is it worth to you to have good credit? Because it's going to cost you a little bit of money. And it's yeah. going to cost you the interest mm, on your credit card. If or you it's going to cost you the interest on your home loan. Or the interest on your right? home or loan. Or your car loan. Which is a or lot your more. student loans. <clears throat> or, yes. I mean. The smart thing is pay the interest on your credit card and save on the interest on your home. Right. Right? It's all going to, you know, it, it all comes back. That it's doesn't uh, compute to me. Well, this all applies when you're buying mostly, right? When right. you say, you know, I mean, if you don't want to keep that balance like that always you don't have to do right it. i mean if you're not going to buy a house every month then a lot of this is not necessarily relevant it's kind of leading up leading to up. getting, getting yeah. the best possible mortgage rate yes. right that you can get right and talk that's why i say talk to your lender you know as far in advance of your purchase yeah. as you possibly can so that, that way that lender can get you set up if you need to do any work i mean if there's 20, 10 points, you know, off of where your credit score could be to get you to the very top tier of credit. If you have three months, that is more than enough time mm -hmm. to get there. If you have three days, you might <laughs> not be able to get those extra couple points. So earlier the better. Yes. Is what you're saying. During the break, we were talking about types of credit mm -hmm. and credit reporting. And yes. You, and so that really piqued my interest yeah. because that is really confusing. Yes. It's, so all the time that. people come in and they say, my credit score is 787. And I say, well, where did you get that? Well, I got it from Credit Karma. And there's Credit Karma. There is Credit Wise. Discover Card has got their credit score. You know, you just went and bought a car last month and they gave you a credit score. So they're all different, right? Mm -hmm. All their numbers are different. And that's because they're different scores. They're using different models and different mechanisms to score your credit. So generally what people out there in listener land have access to is called a consumer credit score. So it's a vantage credit score and it's just different than a mortgage credit score and different than your auto credit score. So when I pull your credit report, I might come up with, you know, you thought it was a 787 and I pull a 767, for example. That doesn't mean that my score is wrong and their score is right or vice versa. It just means that they're different, like apples and oranges, both fruit, but they're just different. Mm -hmm. So they're telling you different things and they're scoring differently. And credit scores are very, very, very complex. And I think people tend to think that they're a little more simple than they are. But the credit scoring algorithms are proprietary ones. So they don't tell us exactly how they work. Um, and they're really, really complex. So if you see a credit score from Credit Karma, I can almost guarantee you it's going to be different than the credit score that I pull. But it's I like that people look at Credit Karma or have an idea of what their credit score might be because that's generally indicative, right? So if you come to me and say Credit Karma said I was 787, I'm pretty certain that I'm not going to pull a 620 for you, right? I, I can just kind of get that feeling because 
while they're not exactly the same, they sort of trend along the same sure. lines. Here's sure. a question for you. Does pulling your credit on Credit Karma your credit. hurt your credit as a consumer? Really good question. No. Everybody no. asks that question. Uh, yeah, right? Every, I can't, don't run my credit. Don't run my credit. No. From my understanding, and of course, I don't know what everybody's credit pulling score looks like, but those are what are called soft pulls. So they won't be seen. Now, if you go to Washington Square Mall and you try to open a credit card with every single store mm -hmm. in the mall, that is going to most likely negatively impact your score because it looks like you're trying to go out and acquire a whole bunch of new debt. So don't do that. Like, there's just yeah. no need for you to get a Victoria's Secret card. Even if you get 15% off, like, I mean, it's Corey, okay. take it back. 15%, it's 15%. Return those it. undies. Oh, huh? wait, you said don't Nothing. cancel it. So he's stuck with it. You're stuck with just it. don't use it. Don't cancel it. Yeah. No, so, I'll have to use it a little. little <laughs> just stop carry using a, it. Carry a Keep balance. it open. Stop using it. Don't go in there. Yes. I stop shopping I there. Nothing against Victoria's Secret. Just pay red. cash. My face red. <laughs> so I think like a lot of people think like, oh, my gosh, if I, you know, I want to get a new home. And if I let Aaron pull my credit, it's going to tank my credit score, yeah. which could not be further from the truth. Oh, my gosh. I have this conversation every single day. Let your lender pull your credit because it's not going to negatively impact. When you have a mortgage company pull your credit, it doesn't ding your score. Two points, three points, ten points, whatever somebody is telling you, it's not going to ding your credit score. Your credit habits are going to ding your credit score. So, for example, I had somebody pre-approved to buy a house using a USDA loan. They went out to a new builder, and that new builder said, if you want to buy this house, you have to use my lender. And they said, oh, okay, well, I really want this house, so I guess we're going to do it. So that lender pulled their credit, and their credit came back lower. Not because the lender pulled their credit, not because I pulled their credit, but because of their credit habits in the months between when I had pulled it and when this other lender had pulled it. Right. So. Generally speaking, if you go in and you get pre-approved with a lender, don't then go out and start shopping around for a whole bunch of other lenders. Don't buy a car. Don't buy a car. Oh, yeah, don't buy sake. a car. Yeah, that's happened. Like, Rule number that, one. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, You know, pick someone and, and stick with it because if you're – what happens in the interim after you've had your credit pulled, you know, could pop up later on and you could be in trouble. So now these folks are going to have to wait three months before mm. they can buy a house, which is mm. really too bad because they're a lovely family. Mm. Mm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. yeah. So wait, you just said rule number one: don't buy a car. Yeah, don't. We've had I've had a couple transactions in escrow. My clients didn't know they weren't supposed to go out and finance a car in the middle. So they had written an offer, and we were two weeks away from closing. And I guess you can explain how they pull at the end. Yeah. You know, that they, and we do what's called a soft pull. And that soft pull is not a hard pull. It doesn't give us a credit score. But what it does is it refreshes the balances. And it lets us know if you have inquired or have any new credit inquiries. And a credit inquiry is when somebody pulls your credit. So for a car. <laughs> but yeah, right. So what happened to... Or a Victoria's Secret car. <laughs> Victor yes. Yeah, right. And I will tell you the number one thing that happened is not the car thing, although that's happened to every lender and every realtor at least once. What happens is um, Sears is having a closeout sale on appliances. Oh, and you bought a new gosh. house and you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to go get a whole new set of appliances. And Sears no is having interest, no awesome payments, yes, baby. right? So go to Sears and let's no, oh, gosh, Because no. for some people, their debt to income ratios are on the line yeah. and they can't technically afford an extra $125 a month payment. And 
I mean, I've one told people to return their appliances and I once told somebody to return a truck. Thank goodness the dealership took it back. And <laughs> wow. I know. wow. That was a fun it's conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's a lot harder to get a house than it is to get a truck. So <laughs> yeah. just wait so on the just truck. Just wait. Okay? Yeah. I mean, I had a guy yeah. once begging me the entire transaction. Can I go buy a boat? Can I go buy a boat? And I was like, what? no, don't wait. buy the boat. Don't buy well, it. I mean, you know, and that's, wait. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's probably information or... Uh, uh, that tidbit's probably for people that kind of are riding that that line that of yeah. good, really great yeah. credit, for, or you know, you're you're getting those points or whatever that is. What does that mean? The points? debt to income? Oh, points. Point? You mean like credit points or credit well? Score you had mentioned or... earlier, and this is kind of points. before we even started. You know, you're buying a point. Mm. I mean, that's so that pertains to your actual interest rate. So interest rates are not uh, finite; they're not fixed. Um, so interest rates are on a scale. So you might be eligible for a, the lowest possible rate of 3.25%. And the highest possible rate that you're eligible for is 5.875%. So on the surface, you're thinking, well, duh, I want the 325 right? That's right. going to give me the lowest interest and the lowest payment. And I would say, sure, that's fine. But now you have to pay discount points. So it, one discount point is equal to 1% of your loan amount. So let's say your loan amount is $200,000. One discount point is $2,000. So that's a $2,000, which gets added on to your closing costs. It increases the cash out of your pocket while it decreases your interest rate and your monthly payment. Well worth it. Yeah, exactly. In a lot of cases, it's worth it, except when those discount points go five, six, seven. Then it starts to be really expensive, not always Mm. worth it. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a lot of math. It is. (laughs) But I would be interested to know how much it pays off uh, in the end. So maybe, yeah, we can talk about that when we come back. Take a quick break. You're listening to Tony Crow, Your Weekend Warriors. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now... Here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. If you haven't already, go check out our Facebook page and our Instagram and YouTube. Uh, we're recording this show right now for our YouTube video podcast. Uh, you can go over there and uh, go to www.homeshow.com. And uh, you'll see all of our feeds there. Or if you're on Instagram, we're at WW Home Show. Same with Facebook. Yep, that's right. So, yeah, go check that out. Uh, today, we've got Aaron Walsh with Academy Mortgage and Leanne Ishibashi with Hassan Realtors. Uh, they both operate in the Portland metro area. Um, we've been talking about people buying a home. The first part is you bought, you find a realtor and then mm-hmm. you find a um Mortgage what? broker, mm-hmm. yep. or what, would you, what did you call yourself? A lender. I was say a lender. A lender. A lender. That's a real good blanket term. <laughs> you give out the money. I give out the money. Not a loan shark. I'm not. <laughs> sure. We've already established we've already, that. Yeah, I'm okay. not. A I just loan really shark. wanted to say loan shark loan one more shark. time. I have a very important question. <laughs> okay. Have you ever broken anybody's knees? <laughs> Do you have a guy that works um, for you named Guido? If anybody at the CFPB is listening, <laughs> I've never done those things. <laughs> Do you own a steel pipe? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, we, so we were talking during the break a little bit about how does somebody qualify? I guess that's probably yeah. the first thing they need to do. They need to come in and get pre-qualified. Yep. And, you know, over the last 10 years, you know, that we had the big 
recession hit and we had a lot of people lose their homes and they might be sitting on the fence right now going man i don't even know if my credit's good enough yeah well i guess let's talk a little bit about that what is what is the basic principles of getting a mortgage loan right now so I would say talk to a lender. That's really the most important thing because you have these ideas in your head because you've been on Facebook or the internet or your mom told you something. (laughs) And like mom has the best of intentions, but she doesn't always know the latest and greatest lending guidelines. Things change every day. Oh my Lord, they change every day. So talk to a lender because maybe you had a foreclosure or a short sale and you had it 10 years ago and your mom said that you have to have it 20 years ago. Well, that is completely not true. Sorry, right. mom. So just Sorry, talk to mom. a lender. There's lots of different cases. And, you know, the waiting periods are different for VA loans than they are for USDA and FHA and conventional. There's so many different uh, facets of it that when you try to just kind of figure it all out on your own, you're probably um, cutting yourself off at the knees, which does not go back to that pipe joke. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. You're setting yourself up for failure. You are, because huh? you just yeah. don't know what you don't know, right? There's all these things. So talk to your lender. So the lender is going to assess your income, your assets, and your credit. And maybe you make a bajillion dollars a year, and you have um, uh, two bajillion dollars in the bank, but your credit's terrible. Well, that's you're going to have a hard time getting a loan. Now, maybe you have the highest credit score of anybody ever in all of time. But you don't have any income. Well, you're going to have a hard time qualifying for a loan. So it really all works together. So it can't just be one piece or even two piece. I always say it's a three legged stool. You have to have all three legs of your stool or else you're going to fall over. (laughs) So so I would just say talk to the lender. Um, A good lender is going to assess everything. They're going to ask all the right questions. They're going to gather your documentation, um, pay stubs, bank statements, tax returns and such um, and review all of that so that the lender a good lender is going to give you a pre-approval not a pre-qualification mm-hmm. and i kind of look at the difference as a pre-qualification is Corey, you and i have a conversation and you tell me that you make so much money and you have this much money in the bank and your credit score is whatever well then maybe tony and i have a conversation and he tells me all those things and then he gives me the paperwork to back it up Tony's going to get a pre-approval you're going to get a pre-qualification i don't even take a pre-qual usually. yeah right i mean i don't okay. think we don't um i don't like to give them yeah because they're not worth the paper they're printed on, right? Yeah. I mean, you're a lovely person, Corey, but you could if I don't know you, you could be totally lying. Sure. To me, Wait, right? was my credit score 520 or right. 720? Exactly. Let's and just go with 720 and see what <laughs> yeah. happens there. And it's just yeah. it does a disservice to everybody, right? I mean, it does a disservice to you as the buyer because you don't really know what you're getting into. It does a disservice to the real estate agent that you're working with because they're taking their time to show you houses and write up offers. Mm-hmm. And it's really doing a disservice to the seller who was left their house so that you can walk around mm-hmm. in it yeah. and then you write an <laughs> offer and oh shoot that you don't qualify which yeah. just it, <sighs> it, it's so much better to just get pre-approved ahead of time work with a lender you know it can actually be done pretty quickly like realistically it's it's not going to take a week you know if somebody is really on it and ready to send me all their paperwork i could easily get a pre-approval done in less than an hour well, let's talk about that yeah let's talk about what does somebody need when they walk in the door and they mm-hmm. sit down with you you said have all the proof. Yeah. What what do you talk about there? I mean, do, is yeah. it your credit score? Do you need to show up with your printout of your credit score? Or is that something you run? How I does will that pull work? credit. So what I'll do is I'll talk with somebody. We'll do a first phone call. It's about 20 minutes long. And I will verbally ask them all the questions. So by the end of that call, I can say you're pre-qualified. But now we need to turn this into a pre-approval. So based on that phone call and the information I gathered, I will tell them I need 
pay stubs and W-2s and tax returns. But if somebody's self-employed, right, they might not have pay stubs. So then I won't ask for those, right? I'll ask them only for the documentation that I need to support the conversation that we've just had. Okay. So always ask for income documentation. Always ask for asset documentation. And then at the end, once those two things check out, then I'll pull credit. So it's I'd never ask for somebody's social security number on that first phone call. It's a little off-putting, and they don't really know me very well. So <laughs> yeah. why are they going to give me the yeah. keys to the yeah. kingdom? Mm-hmm. So once we've sort of developed a relationship and I've reviewed their documents, then we'll pull credit. And we take a look at that and you know, maybe somebody's credit score isn't perfect and I can help them with that as well. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Okay. I just have all these questions because, it's good. you know, I was there, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of people were, they've gone through, you know, some sort of short sale or foreclosure in their past. You know, it's very common. And if yeah. somebody's had that and they're repairing their credit, mm-hmm. what are some of the first steps? Or, or I guess, is there a minimum credit score that, you know, somebody's sitting at home and they're like, they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to go yeah. in and say, yeah, this is what I got. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you're you you don't feel that way. You're not you don't yes. feel you don't uh, see them as easily fixed. I yeah. will say that I have been doing this almost I think this year is my 19th year in this industry. I have literally seen it all. Like I have seen the lowest credit score I ever thought was possible. And I've seen the highest credit score. So, I mean, I guess a theoretical minimum would be maybe 580. But like, let's target a little bit higher than that. So let's say you come in and I pull your credit and you've got a 550 and you have some late payments and some student loans that you didn't pay on for a couple of years, but now you're back, but you still have uh, some poor credit. So what I'll do is I'll analyze your credit report, the actual report that I'm seeing, and then I'll make suggestions based on what I think can increase your score. Number one thing is time. So the farther you are away from the negative credit, the better off your score is going to be. The number two thing is keeping current on your payments. So I tell people all the time, just set up the minimum payment on your credit card. If that's all you can do, just set up the minimum and let's just have that get going so you're establishing some good credit history. Then the next thing would be to start paying down your credit card balances. So the ideal ratio between your high credit limit and your current balance is 30%. So for example, if you have a credit card and it's got a max uh, credit limit of $1,000, you want to make sure your balance never goes over 300 Mm, right yeah exactly now what Mm -hmm. if you spend 700 every month but you pay it off before the statement cycle ends that's fine because when it reports to the credit bureaus it's going to report with a zero balance but that's not always true sometimes depending on when the credit card reports exactly you can find out yeah Yeah. and that that's a very good tip because yes you need to ask when do you report to the credit bureaus i've fallen into that before where you think oh yeah my credit score is you know whatever excellent credit and but we do that too we put everything on our credit card yeah and then pay it off pay it off at the end of the month well you go in there and they're like well your credit balance to the ratio it's like well you know, when you miss out by that percentage right. point or whatever it is, and it can be significant yeah. mm-hmm. if you don't know that. So, I mean, yes. I always say pay it off the month and don't use it the month before, you know, right? unless you find out exactly when that gets reported. Yeah, you can. So instead of paying it off, should you pay it down to that 30 percent mark? If you're it doesn't that help if you keep it at 30 percent instead yeah, of paying a zero balance? You can you don't want to go all the way down to zero. That's a really good yeah. point. You don't want to yeah. go all the way down to zero, uh, depending on. Which you know where you I know yeah. it does sound weird. And it's don't the, close your accounts. If there's one thing I can tell you, don't close your accounts. But if you can pay it down to, you know, 100 bucks, 10 bucks, you kind of have to figure out where yeah. your max limit is. Um, but don't pay it all the way off. Interesting. Yeah, right? 
This is the first time I've ever had any kind of a money person tell me not to pay off my credit card. <laughs> Good stuff. I feel like I feel like my mind is blown right this now. This is to improve your Dave credit. Dave Ramsey's getting mad right now. Oh, he's now. so mad at me. These right tips now. and so many more right after this break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Tony and I are talking with Leanne Ishibashi and Aaron Walsh, both with uh, uh, Hassan Realtors and Academy Mortgage. Both I, should, <laughs> I should have said that differently. You meant to say both in the buying and selling yes. of homes industry. That's what I meant. They are professionals in their field. Yes, yes. So you know we, what I meant. We brought them here to teach us stuff. So that <laughs> if we you're know. just tuning in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so before the break, we were talking with Aaron. You're with Academy Mortgage. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about credit. Yeah. And someone, you know, might have a minimum credit score of, you you, you said around 580, but, yes. you know, don't take that as a... Yes, don't look at Credit Karma and see 580 and then think, oh, I'm not even going to bother. Talk to your lender because right. I might pull something higher. What if I pull a 620 and you can totally get a loan? So 580 is sort of the theoretical minimum, but... Here's the question yeah. that everybody wants to know. Yes. Do you judge people? No, <laughs> I judge? don't judge people. And you know why? Because I have seen it yeah, all. Like, like a doctor. I have seen it is it is kind of like it a doctor. Is. Like you don't go to the doctor with that weird thing you've on seen, your arm. You've seen under the gown, is what you're I saying? I totally oh. have. <laughs> like I've seen it all. And I've seen people like let's be honest, I've seen people with phenomenal credit, tons of money, and a bajillion dollars in the bank. That are not cool people. And then mm-hmm. I've seen people who have the 580 credit score and are barely scraping by who are just awesome. like good quality, awesome people. And, you know, maybe life dealt them a tough hand and yeah. they're rebounding. I mean, there's not a person out there, I think, that hasn't suffered some type of financial setback at some point in their lives. And I might be catching them on their rebound. And I'm honored to do that. I mean, I yeah, want to help the people too. get from the 580 to the 620 to the 640 so that they're over. 700. I, I mean, it's just like a really cool thing. So please don't ever worry about calling me if you think you have bad credit. Have you ever had somebody sitting in front of you mm-hmm. say to you, well, what's your credit score? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't. You haven't? Oh my gosh, no, I oh, never that's have. Happen. Now that yeah, I said right? that, that's going to happen. I know. And then that's you're going to awesome. be like, Oh, it's really low. Yeah. Probably. You have nothing to worry about. 580. We're all down here. <laughs> it's all of us. Let's get yours taken care of, though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of which. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yeah. How does someone repair their credit? What if they come into you and, yeah. you, and they have that low score and you say, well, you know, your rates are going to be here. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, we can't afford that. We really right. need to be at this rate. Because that's how it works, right? The better the credit score, the better the rate. Yeah. I mean, it's rare that people tell me, like, I want this rate. More often, they'll say, I want this payment. Okay. And then I I kind of work backwards into that. But if somebody has, you know, credit where it's lower than it needs to be, then what we'll do is we'll run what's called a what-if simulator. And that basically will take their credit score, and I can play around with it. So they've got a Capital One card, 
and it's over the limit, right? So then I'll say, well, what if we just pay it down a hundred bucks to get it under the credit limit? How does that affect the score? Okay, well, what if we take this much money and pay this card off or settle this collection? And you know what the most interesting thing is, is everybody sort of logically thinks, well, I got to pay off my collections. I got to pay off my collections. No, like the craziest thing is that oftentimes paying off a collection will make your credit score even worse. Oh, right. That's kind of a mind blow. That is right. And really the reason most often that happens is because collections tend to be older things that happened in our past. And, you know, we've kind of just buried our head in the sands a little bit. So what happens is if you pay off a collection, it makes the date last active today. Right? Oh, makes it look no. like it's a brand new mm-hmm. collection, right? Oh, and when no. I said a while ago, the farther away you are from those negative credit events, the better. So, yeah, talk to your lender. Really Don't good. do anything without talking to your lender, and then you know just do the little changes that I ask you to do, like pay down. Um, your credit cards. Maybe you, you're paying a lot on your student loans and you can reduce that. So you're paying the minimum on those and allocate those funds to pay down some, you know, high interest credit card debt and get those down. So we can set you up with a plan. And what happens is like, I'll set you up with a plan and then I will check in with you every 30 days to see, are you doing the things that we talked about? I'm not going to let you just like fade away into the distance. <laughs> That's awesome. I am going to like relentlessly follow That's up with you. Cool. And when you know that, I mean, if I've, Corey, if I put you on a plan, okay, you got to do this and then I'm going to call you in 30 days. I mean, you're going to be much more incentivized to do that if you know that I'm going to be checking up on you. Right. And ultimately, I'm not doing that to be a jerk. Right. (laughs) Yes. That's when I get on my steel Mm. pipe. I'm not doing it to be a jerk. I'm doing it because I know that that's what you need to do to get to the point where you're ready to buy. And I also know that home ownership is just the number one driver of wealth in the United States. Like, the number one driver of wealth. It's not 401k. It's not saving all of your money. It's not investing in the stock market. It's investing in real estate. And if that starts with your first little mm-hmm. condo that you're buying for $150,000, then you bet yourself that I want to help you get there. Interesting. Cool. That's great. So before we were talking about affordable housing and we were talking a little bit about housing prices and how stuff changes so much. My first house that I bought was built for me in Force Grove. In 1997, 94,000. Wow. 7,000 wow, 7, awesome. 7, square foot lot. Um, it was a 1,100 1, square foot home, right? Cool. Perfect starter home. Yeah. yeah 94,000. So, wow. so You'll can, never guess what my first can, house was. I'll tell you in a minute. Can, <laughs> no, this is a good time for it. Say it. Mi- mm-hmm. In Michigan. In Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Oh, 12, they have great water there, right? 12 grand. $12,000. 1940s bungalow, two-story. That's so insane. what did you sell it for? Twelve grand. No. Eleven five. Alrighty. Moving on. Sucker. No joke. <laughs> um, oh, that's so so let's just as a comparison to that, right? That was my first. It was an FHA loan. It was my first house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was new. It was built for me, but it was also lot one. And so that builder really wanted to get underway, and I worked for PAR, so I kind of had an inside track, right? So Mm -hmm. I got a good deal. But $94,000. So least expensive new house on the smallest lot you can possibly build a house on, what is it? The cost? Yeah, the value of that home. What do you think you're going to see out there? Like the least, I mean, here's what I'm saying. It's probably not sub 200. No, yeah. I mean, are you talking about brand new? Yeah. Oh, 
So I you're mean, talking buy the lot plus pay for the cost of the house. Four fifty. Yeah. Five hundred. See, that's I mean, crazy. To maybe me. in Forest Grove, three seventy-five. <laughs> we just sold something that wasn't new for three seventy-five. Yeah, us together. together. <laughs> oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. So it's just not. There's just not out there a, a house for one hundred and eighty-five thousand no, oh, dollars. Not here. Not here. Not I mean, here in, in Portland, Michigan, Metro. maybe. But yeah, you know, or Louisiana, maybe. I mean, in the Tri County area, I think if you were to search for houses under two hundred thousand, about any condition, you're, you're oh. looking at less than fifty, probably yeah. in three counties. And less- they're probably falling over. Almost. Maybe not the best condition. Just yeah. short of condemned. Yeah. yeah. Well, and here's another thing that's important to know is when you're looking at at price points and you're looking at houses versus condos, condos can be a really interesting thing because people will think they want a condo because it's one twenty five or one fifty, but when you add the HOA dues in that are 325 or 400 or even 250 on top of your mortgage payment monthly and then you look at a potential assessment in the future it really does give you a lot more buying power looking at a house so totally. and you can talk about the offsetting of you know the the mortgage versus if you do a condo versus a, a house what that's yeah be. oh yeah yeah in fact it's usually it's good timing that you say this because i just had a conversation with somebody this weekend and the difference between her buying a condo versus a single family home was like fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars a pretty big I difference learn more about that. yeah we gotta oh, talk about that that's a good one i, I hear a lot of people buzzing about condos right now so this is a great topic of conversation we gotta take a quick break when we come back more info from Aaron and Leanne you listen to Tony Corey your weekend words don't go away Show built by Bar Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. If you haven't already, go check us out on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, social media, all of the above. Uh, you can go check us out on our website. It's www.homeshow.com. And all the links to our Instagram were at www.homeshow. Uh, follow us, like us, you know, check out our YouTube videos and subscribe. We love to uh, uh, get that growing. You can also go to par.com, P-A-R-R.com. Click on the Weekend Warriors link. Yeah, that'll take you right there, too. Take you to our stuff. All right. So uh, today we've got uh, Leanne Ishibashi with Hassan Realty and Aaron Walsh with Academy Mortgage. And we were told, what? Hassan Company Realtors. <laughs> it's, you, Every time, there's been like five different names. I'm just saying. It, I mean, it doesn't you, matter if I say Hassan Realty. Yeah, it does. Hassan, <laughs> you have to say the right name. Hassan Company Realtors. That's okay. I mean, <laughs> if you go looking for it, you're going to find it anyways. Yeah, yeah. But it, you can Hassan, just say Hassan. Hassan Company yeah. Realtors is the name Hassan. of the company. I'm going to call it Hassan from now on. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Anyway, Hassan Company Realtors. Yes, yes. You can say it next time. I will. <laughs> Anyway, the, the, we've been learning from Aaron about, you know, getting a mortgage and yeah. what that entails. And if you've got, you know, poor credit and what it what takes to get that credit, you know, much better. Uh, but now let's let's move into what it takes to buy a home. Mm-hmm. You know, you've come, they found you, they've talked to Aaron, they have their pre-approval letter, not a pre-qualification, mm-hmm. but a yep. pre-approval mm-hmm. letter. 
you've realized that you're not buying a new car. <laughs> yep, sorry. That you're not buying new appliances or you're furniture. You're not getting a Victoria's Secret card. Not paying off your credit no. card. <laughs> Any, anything that says no interest, no payments for 18 months, stay away. Right. Please no. And uh, <laughs> now you're ready to buy a home. Yeah. And we were kind of talking about condos a minute in the, the last segment and the affordability. You mm-hmm. know, because I think a lot of people, I thought that too. I thought to myself, well, if you can get a condo, it's a for, good in, right? Because yeah, it's 100, less expensive. Yeah. 150 yeah. grand, you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, that's a good in. But you actually had some some insight. Yeah, insight yeah. into that. Yeah. I think, you know, condos are right for the right people. It's, a, I mean, if you want to live in the city and walk everywhere and not have a car, it's a good option. But there are things that you really need to look into. And that's where you really need to trust your realtor because your realtor is probably the one that's reviewing a lot of this and explaining it to you and can make or break the situation. Like I've walked in to sell condos for clients I've been referred to and they have an assessment that was coming and in their meeting minutes they didn't see when they bought because their realtor didn't explain it to them. So really condos are, I mean, if you're looking at a $150,000 condo and you have $300 per month HOA dues, well, it usually covers water and sewer. So that offsets your utilities a tiny bit. Yeah, but then 80 bucks, maybe, maybe, maybe in a condo, you know, not yeah. much, but then you need to really add that into your monthly payment. Cause you could go get a house and add $300 to that. That's sure. a lot of buying power for a house. So if you want the lifestyle of not maintaining your exterior and having the HOA do it, that's great. But if, I mean, I think buying a house is a better investment. Well, let's talk about what is an assessment? An assessment. What does that even mean? Yeah. An assessment is, um, there's a couple ways. It's kind of confusing, but an assessment is caused from the the really the HOA not saving the dues. So typically, they should have three times the amount of dues saved per unit. So if there's a hundred units, they should have three times as much of the dues coming in saved in their reserves. They normally do not for repairs. Yes, for repairs, for maintenance, for window cleaning. So if the roof needs to be replaced or if the siding needs to go. And a lot of times back, you know, 20 years ago when they were building condos, they used, you know, faulty siding. So the siding is failing now. And then there's litigation involved, which is a whole nother piece. Yeah, we know all about that. Yeah. So, but, oh, yeah, you do, obviously. <laughs> so, I mean, but but really when it comes to the assessments, the assessments are, are where homeowners get a certain dollar amount per unit they have to pay. So it could be $1,000, $5,000, or $10,000, or $25,000. I think the biggest one I've seen is thirty-three Holy for cow. repiping the whole building and sell wow. wood. Mm-hmm. So they come to you, the owner yep. of that specific condo, and yes. they say, oh, by the way. Yep. And usually you can tell, you can, you can see it coming if you look at the reserves and you read the meeting minutes. A lot of times they'll start talking about it before it's going to be assessed. But once you're assessed, there's no getting around that. You can't dodge it. You, it either gets added to your dues monthly and, you know, spread out and amortized over 15 years, mm-hmm. or you have to pay it in full. And if you sell your condo, it really depletes your value. So we have a listing coming up downtown. It's a condo. They have a $22,000 assessment. It's her third assessment in 10 years of owning that building. Oh, oh man. So that's going to take the value from four twenty-five dollars probably to three fifty. I mean, it's going to take it down. Nobody wants to buy in a building where they can't save money. Sure. You know, so it's just a, it's more risk. And then, I mean, that's a really bad way to lose your equity. Right. Well, it's something to keep in mind in general. You know, there's a lot of other added costs that go into even owning a home yes. or buying a home. Like we were talking about property taxes earlier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody might not be thinking, you know, they're online yeah. and they're looking at the calculators. They're typing it in. Oh, I can afford this monthly payment. And then they get in there. Oh, I'm looking in the 350, 400,000 range only to forget that the property taxes are $15,000 a year. Yes. 
Yes, and there is no rhyme or reason to the property taxes here. None. They're really, I mean, it used to be that Multnomah County was the most expensive. It's not anymore. Clackamas and Washington County are catching up, I think, pretty quickly. I, I don't so know too. if you've noticed right. that. But, I agree. You know, I think that, that you could have, you know, a house that the taxes are 7000 and the one next door, same thing as the house prices, you know, could be 14000 And the values could be close on those. I mean, almost identical. Makes no sense at all. Hmm. Not at all. And the county, it's really hard to get it to get it changed. It really is. It's not something that's easy. But that's something to consider. And that a good yes. real estate agent yes. can walk somebody through when they're trying to figure out how much their budget is. Oh, yeah. We'll pull out. I'll pull out houses where the taxes are too high. And I'll explain that to my clients and say, hey, you guys, this is $20,000 in taxes and this one's twelve. So I think we should probably not you know, move forward with this one because it's too so expensive. Yeah. You know. So you regularly answer the phone and somebody says, hey, I'm looking to buy a house mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I, I'm pre-qualified. No, I'm pre-approved. pre-approved. Yep. <laughs> hey, good, good. I'm pre-approved for half a million dollars. Yeah. Um, and I, and you you start asking the questions, yeah. right? Yeah. Where do you want to be? Yep. What do you want it to look like? Yep. And all this stuff. And then you say, okay, I got my marching orders probably. Yep. And then you say, I'm going to do some digging. I'll call you back. Yeah. And then what? So a lot of times when someone calls me, well, really what I always, I ask every person I work with that's buying, what is your dream home? Like what, if you didn't, price aside, what would you pick? What what style would it be? Where would it be? What would it look like? What would your yard be like? So I can go take that and find my clients a house. So after that conversation, I'll go and I'll pull all the listings and I'll send those to, you know, whoever it is that I'm working with. And depending on where they're looking, a lot of people are like, I'm approved up to 500 and I want to be on the lake in Lake Oswego. And you're like, okay, <laughs> let's wrangle it back in. We all laugh. So, That's the dream. I mean, yeah, right, right. So you have to find, you have you're to like, take. You're like, do you own a monocle? Yeah. yeah. No? I'm, yeah. You have to take what they want, I think. And most buyers don't know what they're looking for. They really don't. So you can, and that's why I asked the dream home question, because you can take a lot of things they want they think are difficult and find that for them. And maybe there are a few things that are difficult that you can't get. So I have them make a list of 10 things they want. Plan on getting five of the ten, really, truly. If we can get seven, it's great. And for me, usually we go out twice and my clients have found a house. But I also look through, you know, 80 listings and I'll pull it down to 15 based on my clients' needs. And we're looking at schools, what happened last time the market went down, investments, rate of return, short-term rental opportunities. So we're, we're really studying where they're buying and then going from there. That is so much information. It's I a know. lot of information. Corey and I talk uh, pretty regularly about how important it is that you that your home is in tune with the homes that are around it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's we talk about comparable prices, right? Return on your investment, yes. how much you're putting in. Yes. And Corey and I say regularly, we understand wanting to do an improvement on your home, right? Like maybe you're going to remodel your kitchen, yeah. and you're you're saying I've got this much money to do it. Well, even if you have that much money, maybe you don't want to spend that much money on this project because the homes around you yes. have formica mm-hmm. and you know, yellow refrigerators mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. linoleum on the floor, right? Yeah. Uh, old linoleum or marmoleum or something on the floor. <laughs> um, and so so this is a very important thing you talked about. What, what do the schools look like? What mm-hmm. is the neighborhood like? Yeah. You know, is it is it like Corey when he bought his house here? How important was it that it was so, such an established neighborhood with trees that were already 20 or 30 years old? And, you know, you look down the street and it's beautiful with uh, leaves falling and you know it's just it was a picturesque neighborhood right. and Corey bought here not because of the home but because of the neighborhood so we gotta take a quick break we're gonna talk more about the reasons why you buy you're listening to Tony and Corey Your Weekend Warriors don't go away
listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about mortgages and real estate with Leanne Ishibashi with Hassan Company Realtors and Academy Mortgage. Aaron Walsh. Did I say that right, Tony? You were close. What? <laughs> you forgot Aaron Walsh. <laughs> I said he got Aaron Leanne Walsh. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. About That's me. Okay. I got it. It's all right. I, Whatever. I came right in. I, I saved you. I scooped you. Scooped you right up there. All right. So anyway, <laughs> we're, uh, we're yeah we're talking about the other side of construction. The, you know the the houses and the how they get mortgaged and all of those things. You know we were talking in the last segment about people buying homes and. You had you said something about if you were buying it for as a rental property mm-hmm. or if you were going to live there. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the show, you mentioned that people buy and sell on average every seven years. You said five to seven. Every five yeah, to seven five years, to seven, which seems say. crazy to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I couldn't sell my house right now and find anything else that I would want to live in, yeah, this is a we're a unique market, I think, in Portland. So that's sort of the national average. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if that's holds true in portland but i mean it's probably not too far off actually yeah, a lot of people a lot of my clients call before we think they're gonna call yeah yeah it's, it's very yeah, interesting which is they just outgrow your house or you your kids leave and you're downsizing yeah, that's or, true you know there's a lot of life changes that happen it, that's more of a life change stat so five to seven years yeah something significant happens tony's looking to sell his house well i mean maybe I've, yeah i've been in my house though for 12 years so mm-hmm. uh, you know yeah, that 12 years but i'll tell you what um, this was the house that we moved into with um, kids just starting school, mm-hmm. and we were in it until, and we're in it now still. But when we really started thinking about making a change, yeah, it was right after the kids were gone, yeah. right? Yeah. Because now suddenly, I don't even want to go back upstairs. I don't want to do any of that stuff that has to be done upstairs, right? Because I don't even need that space anymore, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could just do the whole thing with half the size yep. and, and a one story. Yep. Um, but I. Then, you know, you think, well, is it the top of the market or are we almost near the top of the market? Um, and then I start thinking, well, maybe my daughters are going to get married pretty soon. Um, do I really want to be strapped to a new home, you know, that whole thing mm-hmm. while I'm now having to pay for two weddings? Yeah, I don't know. So that's where my kids are. That's where my life is. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I could see seven years. I just not not when you're. In that in that part of your life, right, the part of your life where your kids are just starting school, mm-hmm. that that's going to be a ten or twelve year span, I think, for anybody. Yeah. If you have to move to a place that has a school because your kids are just arriving at school age, then you'll probably be there for ten years. But seven sounds right to me. Well, and Portland is a unique market. Our schools here are either really good or really bad, so we don't have a ton of stuff in between. So you're looking at. The affordable houses are not in the good school districts anymore, or affordable. I mean, we're talking four to five fifty, right? Four hundred thousand. <laughs> so, affordable, right? Yeah. So right. that those are the affordable houses in Portland, and you're even looking at when you get those, you have people coming from the Midwest that are looking at that, going, "Oh my gosh, I'm coming from a three thousand square foot house, and I'm able to get twelve hundred square feet, you know, in a ranch house in North Portland, you know." Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. but the schools there don't line up with the pricing in most people's minds. So that drives a lot of the moves too. So if you buy and you make some good capital on your investment, then you sell and you put that into a new house in a neighborhood where the schools are good, and then you move, you you know go there and put your kids in school there. So that's that's a big big factor here. I've actually heard, uh, you know, in the construction world, a lot of the builders right now 
are trying to market to the millennial, right? That's that's a very important thing to builders because they have to get millennials or, you know, millennials are actually looking to buy homes mm-hmm. because, they're you know, they were all downtown hipsters and all that thing now, but they're getting older. They want children. Schools are super important. You make a good point, Corey. As a matter of fact, when you mention millennials and the way conventional house buying is changing um, because they're changing the way people live. They're getting married later. They're coupling up and even in threes or fours, right? Sharing the responsibility of a home. This is things that, you know, only happened remotely 20 years ago. So these things are changing. And and the the situation is how you shop for a home Mm -hmm. is changing Mm -hmm. and the type of home that you shop for. Well, like buying one, like you said earlier, short-term rental mm-hmm. or or maybe buying a property with an ADU or maybe yeah. buying a property that could potentially have an ADU. Yeah. We've we had a, an expert on the show uh, several weeks ago who talked about not every property can have an ADU or oh, not absolutely. every jurisdiction will allow them. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, short-term rentals are a great opportunity. So that's kind of the latest and greatest trend here. So you can pick up any home in Portland and get a really easy permit and rent it pretty much nightly. So you can use Airbnb or VRBO and you furnish it and you have people either renting rooms or the whole house. Um, And it's kind of trending to do what Bend has done, Bend, Oregon, which is in eastern Oregon. So they are currently making it impossible to get new permits. So the permits in Bend for short-term rentals are being sold with the homes. And those are bringing, it's a vacation town, so they're bringing in really big money. Um, But the houses that have the permits are selling for $100,000 more than the house next door that doesn't have the permit. So people are coming in and snatching up those houses here that are located near the airport or even in like Park Rose, you know, places that you wouldn't think people are buying homes for $400,000 and renting them and making good capital. So that's kind of a, that's a pretty exciting thing that's happening here. You see that changing in Portland. Mm -hmm. That yeah. you'll have to have a permit yes. to be able to rent it out. You'll have to have a permit and it will be almost impossible to get at some point because they'll put a cap on how many people can rent. Once there's five rentals in a row, they're not going to allow that. Same thing as Ben. So 250 feet, you can't have another rental there. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you don't end up with a bunch of rentals on yes. one street. Yes. Yeah. So Portland is a not doing that A bunch of people who yet. don't care about what their yard looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to <laughs> get a permit. Yeah. Yeah. You have to get a permit here still, but it's really easy. It's an A and B permit. There are two different ones. They're under $2,000, which is pretty inexpensive compared to what yeah. had to be done in Bend. So does, do you have to have that permit to be able to list it on those sites like mm-hmm. VRBO? Yeah. They ask you for those permits. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you have to have the permits. Um, and, and again, they're really easy to get. But I think that that makes it so people are snatching up properties here that otherwise maybe wouldn't be purchased because you can make more money renting them, you know, two night minimum. And people are coming in or corporate rentals are really big here with all the Nike and, you know, all the State Farm and people that are coming in. They're putting their executives in these houses. So sure. they're four or five thousand dollars a month furnished. Interesting. Yeah, which yeah. is a lot. So what about these, you know, we were talking a little bit about the younger people, the millennials, mm-hmm. the, you know, the the 20-somethings that yeah. don't have a ton of money in the yeah. bank or they don't have a ton of credit, but they want to group together. Yeah. Say, say two or three people want to get together and yeah. buy a home. 
Do you see a lot of that happening? I don't see it as much, but it's possible. I mean, it's possible for them to apply, and maybe you can speak to this, but apply together and get a home. I mean, if you can get a home for $400,000 with three people, it might be an affordable mortgage for all three. So it's definitely a possibility. And the ADU is also a possibility. You can find something with an ADU and then, you know, three people can live upstairs. You can rent the bottom to supplement that income. There's a lot of really creative ideas that are wow. going on now. Yeah. That's... Yeah, and that's a great way. I mean, if you're if you've got three people living together and they're all splitting the rent on a three bedroom house and they just can't buy a house on their own, then it's going to make way more sense for all three to pull together, um, buy a house and then split the equity three ways. Mm -hmm. That's still one third of the equity when you're really getting none if you're just renting. So totally a good idea. Do you know um, if someone were to enter into a situation like that? I mean, do you have to have some sort of contract that you don't have to have a contract. Um, I would suggest yeah. um, getting a contract between the three people or two people yeah. or whatever the, the number is. And I do that even if people, um, if they're married, uh, just the way that the state law works, you don't, I don't necessarily recommend a contract. But if you're not married and you're, um, you know, mortgaging a house together, getting a contract reviewed by a real estate attorney or some type of attorney yes. is always a good idea because you know, life comes at you fast. Yeah, you never know how that's change. never yeah, know how that's sure. going to end, right? right? Look at marriages. Yeah. I mean, they don't always end up perfectly, and so right. you yeah. know. And there's a lot of money on the and line. There's a lot of money on yes. the line, and that can have some effect on the result as mm-hmm. well as you mm-hmm. get yes. you know get things start to unravel fast right. Right. in yes. a situation like that. That's so. Very your advice for a young group of people going in would to be to talk to a real estate. Lawyer. I would say talk to a lender first. Figure out what the three of you or whatever group of you can can afford to buy. And then before you close on your transaction, make sure you have an agreement in place that has been reviewed by an attorney. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. That's a good tip. Okay, we've got one segment left, so we gotta take a quick break. When we come back, we'll put a tight little bow on this. Thanks for staying with us, folks. You're listening to Tony Corey, your weekend warriors. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. Today we're talking about mortgages and real estate and buying a home. And before the break, we were talking about going in on uh, three people going in or four people going in on a home. And you mm-hmm. said is what's really popular is people are doing that. They're buying homes and renting rooms yes. out. On yes. Do you have to rent them out on like Airbnb or VRBO? Do you no. have to have a permit? No, most of my clients that are doing that actually work at at Nike. I see that it most commonly they're people fresh out of college that just got a job there. They have benefits, they have good good stuff going on, and so they're buying houses close to work and then they're renting the rooms out to people that work at Nike, typically yeah, for between six and eight hundred bucks a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a five bedroom house or four or five bedrooms, that's some pretty good capital. Oh you know? man, I should say. Yeah. You guys can do that. I, be, can that, yeah, I know we that. could. That'd be a nice uh, <laughs> supplemental income. Let's do yeah. that, Tony. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, okay, let's get back into buy, the regular mm-hmm. buying. You know, say somebody new, say maybe they're not going in with their buddies, but yeah. they're new to the real estate market. We've talked about, you know, going in, talking with Aaron, figuring out how much you want. What's the next process or what, what would you recommend? What are some tips for somebody 
that's looking to buy their first home? I mean, if they have already picked a realtor, so we're at the point where they already have a real estate agent, they already have a lender, so they're pre-approved, then they just need to get out and start looking and have an open mind. Really, the most important thing to remember right now is pricing is not as it seems when you look at it. So you're either looking at something that's listed, newly listed, so, you know, a hot home or a day on the market on Zillow or Redfin, Mm -hmm. and the pricing that you see is not really what you're going to get it for. Typically, you're in multiple offers. So I have my clients especially my first-time home buyers, because they're in that really, really hot price point, we look a little below where their max is. So, I mean, we try to do that anyways, but if they're looking and they're pre-approved between 350 and four, we're really trying to stay as close to 350 as we can. So that does give them more purchasing power. Because if you're pre-approved up to four and you're looking at 399, you're going to constantly get bumped by other buyers. Right. And so you really want to make sure whatever realtor is helping you understands it's not only about it is about price for sure but that's not the only factor in buying a home it's who your lender is it's who your real estate agent is it's what the whole offer entails not mm-hmm. just the price what would you say about a fixer upper well <laughs> i mean i know you fixed up your yeah. home yeah we just bought a new that. house too we just closed on a new house um so i fixer uppers for me my idea of a fixer upper and my client's idea of a fixer upper is usually very different so i'll ask someone when they say they want a fixer upper or they want to flip a house what does that mean to them what does fixing up a house mean does that mean a new kitchen does that mean adding on to it you know how what's your budget is the most important part because people don't realize you know, oh, for $25,000, I want to add two bathrooms, remodel the kitchen, and add a 1,000 square feet. You're like, yeah. okay, let's, yeah. we're going yeah. to do something different. Bring that down. Yeah. So I think that in fixer-uppers, if you will, usually get snatched up by developers or actual investors that have access to, you know, subcontractors and really right. yeah. inexpensive stuff. So Right. It's hard. So it's not a lot of that hanging out there. It's, it's hard in this market. It really is. And very competitive. Very. It's really tough for me because when we were house shopping – you know, I think a lot of people get this idea, you know, rope, fix her upper, right? They yeah. see all these shows on yes. TV where they're like, I can do that. Yeah. yeah I and can do that. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I can do that. And I have done that. Me too. Tony and I both. That's why we do this show. We're the yeah. weekend warriors. Right. But I think what a lot of people, like you said, they get caught up into maybe some false numbers. Yes. And they go in and they think, oh, this kitchen, they did a kitchen just like this on TV for six grand. Mm-hmm. It's not feasible. Yeah. It is physically not feasible to do. I mean, if you did all of the work and you built all of your cabinets and you hand planed all of your wood floors, it still wouldn't be that cheap. Yes, absolutely. It's just a crazy idea, you know. So I always had a hard time. We'd go in and look at these houses, and I'd I would to me I'd look like I thought in my head I'm going to do that. I'm going to need to do this project. I'm going to need to do that. I'm going to replace those, and I was adding up in my head. I'm not going to buy a house for 500000 and then know for a fact that I'm going to have to put one hundred and fifty into oh, it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that's the problem. I mean, I think the problem is the contractors right now are so much more expensive than they used to. Well, because they can. They're so busy. They're sure. only taking on what they want or need to take on. So you're looking at prices for a remodeled bathroom at 20000 versus seven, which is what it used to be. It used sure, to be sure, I mean, when sure. the market was slower, it was you know, 7,000 people were more hungry, I think, for business. So it's just a little different when it comes to that. So that kind of brings me over to return on investment, Mm -hmm. you know, for people like Tony and I, you know, who are weekend warriors and you, for Mm -hmm. example, who can go in and look at a project and go, you know, yeah, a contractor would charge Mm $150,000 for this kitchen. I could do it for 60. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, Mm -hmm. for a fact that you, you could do it for 60. Is the return on investment still 
that huge gap there, you know, is it still, you know, if you put in a brand new kitchen in a home and, you know, the, the average return on investment for a brand new kitchen is like, it's like 75 or 80%, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. you could say at $150,000, what it would normally cost. I mean, are you still looking at that 75% return on 150? No, that's that's too much. That's why I think it's a little harder now. I think if you can do it yourself, yes, the rate of return is great if you if you have access to the people that you need to do it for half the cost, which is what obviously you guys can do and, and we did too. Yeah. And get it done professionally. Yes, and it has to look not like you did you right. did it. That's the biggest problem. <laughs> that's is, the biggest problem. Yes, we have people buying that want to do DIY, which there's a lot of great stuff you can do, and that's what I talk through with my clients is, hey, there's things you can do that are that's inexpensive, that's easy, you can do yourself that will add value that's great. It's just not demoing your kitchen and doing it yourself. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. We've so. talked about that before too, you know, do, going in and doing a DIY project that looks like DIY. DIY yeah. If it looks yeah. DIY, you're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. You like my new tile in my kitchen? I had the kids color it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I baked it. Yeah. Yeah. It looks great. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the if you if you do a cut rate job on your remodel, it's going to look like a cut rate job, mm-hmm. and you're not going to get that. Top You'll get dollar way out of it. less. You'll get way less, and it actually could hurt you more than help you if you just leave it the way it is versus do a cheap remodel that looks cheap. I mean, well, you can do a cheap remodel that looks expensive or a cheap remodel that looks cheap. You know, right. it's not. It's going to yeah. hinder your current value that you. Spend. All right, so we've got a few minutes left, so I want to ask both of you, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen? You know, with selling homes or buying homes and lending homes that people should just avoid? I think the biggest mistake that people make is falling in love with a house or falling in love with the real estate process before they figure out where their numbers are. And I will be really honest with you, the mortgage part is not the sexy part. Like That's the boring <laughs> yeah. part. Like yeah. Looking at the houses, that's yeah. fun, right? That's why I go into our open houses on the weekend. It's just fun to look at houses. So I get that the mortgage part is boring, but you were – it's building your house yes. on a good solid foundation or building your house on shaky sand. foundation. Yeah, on sand. Yeah. Like you 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 just have to start with the basics, go in, talk to a lender, figure out where you stand and then go out and fall in love with your dream house. Plus it makes it more seamless through the process when you're using a lender that knows what they're doing the whole time because if you there's always obstacles and things that come up, there's always a fire. So if you have a lender that knows what they're doing then they can Put that out before you even really know, yes. you know, Absolutely. which is important. It's like an airplane pilot, right? You don't want your airplane pilot to ever have to do anything but use autopilot. But yeah, when you're in a free fall, you want to make sure that person is experienced and knows <laughs> yeah. how to write that yeah. airplane. Yeah, for sure. Right. That makes a, that's a yeah. very good analogy. It is. Thank you. I'll use that again. There is, <laughs> that's good. There is also yeah. a high emotional cost that you pay if you have find yourself invested oh, yeah. mentally or emotionally in a property, which happens very fast you start to imagine yourself Mm -hmm. there you start to imagine your kids growing up there running around in the backyard all Mm -hmm. of that stuff and then you can't have it i mean that's i've made people cry that messes with people that is i don't like to do that yeah Yeah, for sure that's terrible okay leanne it's your turn you've got the stage tell us about the worst mistake you can remember a home buyer or seller making I think this isn't the worst mistake, but this is common. It, when you're selling a home, you think you have to do this huge punch list of stuff before you list it. You you don't. Not in this market. There's a lot that you don't need to do, a lot of money that you don't need to spend. So I think if, before you paint your house, before you you know do anything, before you clean your roof, because a lot of times 
something needs to be replaced or not replaced. So I would say I like to guide my clients through that. So I that's very, very important that you wait to talk to someone before you do any work on your house. That's actually a really good tip because I would be that guy. That is I would a make a gigantic yeah. punch list and say, oh, this house has to be perfect yes. so I could get the most money out of it. Yes, that is fabulous, fabulous uh, t- advice because I'll tell you what, you, you decide that the, let's say the walls do need to be painted. They do. And you think, you know what would look great in here? Mistake number one. Yeah. <laughs> then you buy it and put it on the wall. Yeah. Mistake number two. Yes. <laughs> now you have not only spent the money and the time yeah. and the effort. For your to, real estate agent to go, this is hideous. Yeah. To do it. Repaint it. And then the people walk in and they're like, well, I'm painting this room. Yeah. You know? Yes. And then, so it's that's yes. why you're not, that's why people, homeowners, are not in the house when it's being sold. Yes. Yes. Very <laughs> okay. important. We Thank you guys so much for being with us. This has been sure, amazing. Thank you. Um, we are going to put your contact information up on uh, on our social media, up on our website, so people can find you. Thank you so much for being with us. And yeah. we hope soon to have you again. All right, this is all the time we got. This has been your Weekend Warriors right here on the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Network. Have a great week.